Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome everyone to this new episode of Let's Talk AI. Today I'm super happy to be with Andre Lukianenko. Andre, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and you? I'm very good. I'm super happy to be here. So quick reminder to everyone who is listening to Let's Talk AI, the podcast where you can learn about data and AI 360 vision of the field. We can go deep into technical details, but we also discuss about entrepreneurship, vision, regulations, and we for, for sure discuss about machine learning engineer, MLOps, data science, data engineer, and so on. So welcome back on a new episode. Uh, today with Andre, super excited. Maybe Andre, for the people who might not know you, can you introduce yourself briefly? Yeah, sure. So my name is Andre. Uh, I am economist by education. By career, I am data scientist and I am also polyglot. I have lived most of my life in Russia, but right now I live in Dubai. So yeah, I suppose I guess it's it. Awesome. Well, I'm super happy to have you. I have amazing questions to, to ask you. Um, I want to ask you about uh, data science, deep learning. I want to ask you about uh, your language, your passion for languages. Uh, I want to ask you about um, your uh, master title on Kaggle and how do you go about competitions and so on uh, and many more subjects. So if one of the things interests you, uh, remember that you have all the time codes in the, um, in the chat of the video so that you can go directly to specific parts that you are interested the most. That being said, I would love to hear maybe um, a kind of retrospective. Well, first of all, um, I would love to ask you, um, uh, you've been working in different countries, um, you've been moving, and I always like to ask the guests on the podcast, what are they trying to achieve? Um, so it can be in the industry, on their actual project, or at a higher level, you decide. Well, if we talk, if we speak about pure materialistic side, it's having financial independence, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if, like, if we speak about some professional aspirations, then maybe working on some products which help people, help people, yeah. So sometimes we work on projects which like increase companies' revenue, mm. yeah. Sometimes we create products. Sometimes we optimize something, yeah. I'm fine with doing many things, but my aspiration is doing something which is really useful for people. Mm. Putting the human, human in the middle. Awesome. And so could you maybe share with us a retrospective of um, the key moment of your career, like how you've been moving? If I'm not uh, uh, incorrect, uh, you didn't start your journey as a data scientist. Um, you were more of an economist, but maybe you can share uh, a bit more about your journey um, till today. Yeah. So, as I said before, my education is economist, but I had no idea what I want to do after the university. Mm. So I applied to a bunch of jobs, and in some cases I didn't pass interviews, 
In some cases, I got the answer that, oh, yeah, you're clever. I think you will leave us in a couple of months, so we won't take you. <laughs> so in the end, uh, I got in a small company which worked in ERP consulting. It's mm-hmm. basically enterprise resource planning systems, some mm-hmm. kind of electronic documentation, basically logistics, accounting, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I worked in this uh, sphere, in this area for several years. I worked, for example, with SAP, quite a known software, with some Russian uh, alternatives. But in the end, I decided that I don't like it. I didn't like the culture. Also, like there was no community around it. I didn't see any good perspectives. So I want to try something different. After difficult research, exploration, and eight months of looking for a job, I started working as a data scientist. Uh, unfortunately, my first jobs in data science weren't very like good ones, at least for me. So within a year, I switched several jobs. Then I worked for a couple of years in a large Russian telecom company uh, where I worked on like mostly on classical projects, but on not only. There were some fun things like text analytics. Uh, after that, I worked in a smaller company which worked purely with neural nets and we developed products based on neural nets. Uh, and after that, in 2022, I moved to Dubai and currently I work in Karim, like it's super up. And in parallel, I go, went through courses, I took part in competitions, I took part in open source projects and many other things. Awesome. Awesome. There are many, uh, many points to target, but... Um... So coming back to the transition that you did where you started uh, working as a data scientist um, and, and the, the, the largest period, well, uh, after trying different jobs, you, you stayed kind of some time on, uh, on the telecommunication group. Um, so could you share maybe what got you interested in data science in general And like, why did you decide to go toward that and then start working on different use cases? Afterwards, I believe that you've been a, um, a practical researcher doing deep learning. So you really went from, uh, uh, you, you really did a, a, an interesting transition. So maybe can you come back on why did you get interested in the first place and how did this interest grow through time? Yeah. So when I was working in consulting, one of the things which interested me was working with the data and finding some things, like some insights, some ideas from it. Mm. And uh, when I understood that I don't want to work in consulting anymore, I started thinking about some new avenues. And one of my colleagues told me, hey, there is this concept called Lean Six Sigma. It's mm. a methodology of uh, wasteless and like effective production management. So I studied the materials by myself and liked them. There, like, there are many parts of it, and, and, but one of the main ideas is that the decisions are taken based on the data. And mm. there are some like, logical processes of taking decisions, of uh, analyzing things, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned the materials. I passed basic certification and got certificate. But I realized that there is no like there are no jobs in Russia with uh, which would uh, require this certificate. Mm. But nevertheless, I knew that I was I'm interested in working with the data. Mm. And then there was this fun thing. Another of my colleagues showed me like a description of a vacancy in a large company for a director of big data. Mm. I read it and realized that wow, this big data and machine learning. I have no idea what is it, but it sounds interesting. Mm. Then I spent a couple of months researching it. 
yeah, I spent like a lot of time googling things, like understanding what is it about, and I realized that whoa, yeah, this sounds interesting. Like at that point, it was 2016. Uh, that science wasn't that popular at the time. Like I think it was already called like one of the sexiest jobs, but it wasn't like it wasn't this huge boom like right now. So at this point, I just decided that, hey, like, I like working with the data. Yeah, I have spent a lot of time, like, not writing the code, but working together with developers. So maybe this is something which I should try to do. And so, like, I made some small plan of studying, which turned out to be completely useless later, but I made it. Then I left my last job in consulting and started studying. At Hmm. first, I thought that, well, hey, I think it will take me maybe three or four months to get the first job. Mm. But it took me eight months, so my plan was <laughs> completely uh, like unfound without like real foundation. But it's but I still succeeded, yeah. And that's how I started working in data science. Mm. Awesome, awesome. And did you get interested in Kaggle competitions at this time, or was it further on? Uh, I would say there were like two points. At first, like when I was looking for my first job. As many people, I heard about Kaggle. I tried Titanic dataset. I made yeah. some models. I decided that, hey, I am a very clever man. Now I can get any job. Yeah, and I failed spectacularly. Yeah. So after that, I stopped doing any Kaggle for more than a year. But in somewhere in 2018, like in Russian community, at that point, Kaggle was extremely popular. There were a lot of like experienced people taking part there. They were motivating other people to take part in it. They were sharing their solutions after the competitions. Hmm. So I got really interested in it. I started taking part. Uh, at first, like I failed, but at the same, it became a bit better. Awesome. And uh, so you've got the first place on the kernel competition, um, if I'm not mistaken. So can you share maybe a little bit more on your journey as a Kagler and on your master role? Like, how did you went about, um, because like what happened between the Titan- Titanic and like um, all the iterations and competitions that you've participated in? Uh, what happened? What did you learn? Do you have some insights, lessons from us that you could share about uh, the Kaggle journey? Uh, and maybe why we could recommend people to go on to Kaggle? Uh, except from doing the Titanic uh, data sets and like doing uh, doing predictive classification classification models or or whatever, can you share maybe a bit about that? Yeah. So first thing to know about Kaggle is that it's mainly a platform for machine learning competitions, but it has uh, four rankings. So basically, four types of types of activity which you can do. The first one is obviously the competitions themselves. Yeah. Second part is discussion. So there are forums where people share some thoughts, ask questions, like share their ideas. Uh, the third part, which is quite unique to Kaggle, is when people share their notebooks with their code. Mm-hmm. In most, uh, like in most machine learning platforms, people usually take part in the competitions by themselves or purely in their team and rarely share something. But Kaggle mm-hmm. has this unique, uh, like, spirit of sharing the knowledge. Of mm. course, people won't share the secrets of their solutions before the competition ends, but people often share some parts, some ideas, uh, they share their code, and it makes like possible for it to people learn from it. Because if you are simply doing it by yourself, you it's very difficult to learn. Yeah, you just you are just learning from yourself. 
if other people share, then you can learn from them. And this way, I suppose, the, those who organize the competitions get better solutions in return when mm-hmm. people share something with each other. And the last part, like activity, is data sets, when people share some data sets. Uh, at the very beginning, I was interested in notebooks. So my first idea was that, hey, people are doing some interesting analysis here. I wonder how do I compare to them? So I started sharing my analysis, and it turned out that some people like it. And some people gave me feedback, which was very valuable. So I knew like, oh, I made some mistakes. I can fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah. started sharing more and more of my notebooks. People liked them. Yeah. And this like went on and went on. I won, the, won like a couple of competitions where winners were decided based on the number of upvotes, for example. And I got the first rank in the ranking and hold it for one year. After mm-hmm. that, I stopped because like I had like I learned many things. Um, and I, like, I didn't, well, it was taking too much time and decided to stop. Mm. If I talk about what it gave to me, uh, it gave me a lot of experience of doing fast data analysis because for example, like a new competition starts, it can be tabular data, images, text, and so on. I stop doing anything which I can stop doing and write my analysis. So it uh, makes me like, it trains me to be able to do analysis of new data fast of trying new approaches, like for new things fast. Yeah, and it helps to iterate fast, which is often useful in the real world problems, yeah. If I talk about competitions, then yeah, it's like everyone, many people heard about them. Yeah, so I decided to try. At first I tried by myself and sometimes failed. Then I tried taking part in competitions with teams. Uh, There was like one remarkable example, there was a quite popular competition on tabular data called Home Credit. And our idea was that, hey, like, it's difficult to win when you are alone or when you are two people. Let's get as many people as we can and pull our resources and minds. So we Mm. got around 20 people on our team and took part in it. Obviously, as in any group project, most of people, like, stopped doing anything after a couple of weeks. Mm. But there were at least like three to five active people and we got uh, some silver medal. So it was pretty neat. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I continued taking part in the competitions. As for the master rank, so basically you need a gold medal. And in 2019, there was an interesting competition about molecular property properties. So we mm. have molecules, yeah, and you need to discuss some, predict some properties of them. I was like fascinated by the idea and started taking part in the competition from the beginning. Like I wrote notebooks, I wrote on forums, I stayed in somewhere in top 50 at the beginning of the competition. Then a domain expert wrote to me and and offered to join. We made a team and after that, like we got three experienced people to run for us and we continued progressing. At some point, uh, like known person Dieter, he made a, like a very difficult, complex, and amazing graph neural network, and we used it, and basically we got the eighth place. Uh, like one of the things which you need to understand about winning competitions, it's a lot of it about time. So it uh, like a competition went for around three months, and I alone personally spent around two hundred hours on this competition like on pure time. So it's not like computation time. It's my own time experiments, mm. research, and so on. Mm. Yeah. So like one of the key insights is that if you want to win competition, first of all, 
it's like you should be okay with failing several times first times because it's difficult to win competitions huge second is you need to invest like really a lot of time into it yeah because it's the key so i suppose that's uh, some general ideas yeah and i could delve into something more deeply for example awesome that's uh very very interesting and i think that we mentioned different things uh that can be very applicable to people uh, one is being sometimes we think that we have crazy ideas and that we can't share them because then people will steal from us but the reality being that uh it's not that good what i have here and by sharing it maybe it will help some people but what i would love to receive is some critics about my code or what i've done and that's very very valuable because from that we can have a truer have a better understanding of the reality of the things and not like keeping our code for ourselves and i think that's a general idea in the open source uh, that is awesome like the ability to grow faster um together And so uh, I think that's uh, one lesson that I would uh, get also from your story. And the second one being that, yes, it is very time consuming, but this ability to iterate fast, to have ideas and move fast and get insights from my data fast uh, and being able to follow the, the, the thought process and not being stuck technically on some specific parts, getting these rhythms Uh, I think are very very valuable for career um, for careers in general, uh, and that can also be achieved from Kaggle. And then going to master that's another level. <laughs> that's a, another game that you mentioned. 300 hours for a three months competition. That's very very impressive. And you need to be on forums and and have contacts and discuss and. Uh, but that also seems fascinating. Uh, and maybe if I target specific competitions that are related to specific subjects, uh, maybe it can allow me to um, become an expert in some domains, uh, which can also be highly valuable um, also. Um, so that's about Kaggle. Do you want to add anything on, on Kaggle, on your master role? Yes, I think I would like, if I would speak about benefits of Kaggle, I would speak about two things. First one is that Kaggle allows you to experience a lot of different problems. Usually when you work in a company, yes, you can work on different maybe projects, but usually they are mostly about some similar things. Yeah? Yeah. On Kaggle, you can try a lot of things, and so you can get a lot of different experience. It, it could help at your current job. It could help with finding a new job. So it's great. And another one, like there are a lot of critics of Kaggle. Like some of them are justified, some not. But if I would say about some technical benefits, then the best benefit of Kaggle is that you learn how to validate your models correctly. So in, like in real world, in Kaggle, like when we build a model, we need to evaluate it some way correctly. When we do it in real world, sometimes it's difficult to understand if you did it correctly or not. Maybe the feedback loop is very slow and you get the results after several months. Yeah? Mm. Maybe there are a lot of levels of complexity. So it's like, it's on the, other, on the one hand, it makes like competitions less similar to the real life. On the other hand, there are a lot of levels of complexity which could change something. But in Kaggle, when you do something, you can check your results like in the leaderboard. And so like, if you did some mistake, you see it, you fix it. In real world, it's a bit more difficult. So in Kaggle, it's, it's a better way to develop good machine learning practice. 
maybe not good code yeah practice but good machine learning practice in real world it's slower and maybe difficult so i think it's like one of the great benefits of kaggle mm, awesome yes kind of like it set up the framework for us to uh make sure that we get the best practices and uh and the best way to to evaluate the models so that afterwards when we're more in the day-to-day uh, -day enterprise um building models we have those as reference to um, to follow good practices with our models and not just go blindly about things um awesome um I was wondering maybe if you could share with us about um, a specific use case where uh, you had to 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 work on a model or a specific experience in data science that really inspired you uh, or where you learned a lot. And maybe if you could share with us the, the, the enters thought process of I had this problem, um, so I thought about doing this, this and that. Uh, I went about it. I faced this issue. Then I solved it. Like, could you maybe share with us um, um, an entire pipeline of you working on a specific problem? It can be from a company or from a Kaggle competition, but I think it could have a lot of insights as of your thinking process. Mm, yes, uh, sure. So, uh, for example, for example, let's talk about like medical chatbot. So at my previous company, mm -hmm. one of my project was medical chatbot. Uh, when I joined the company, it was already been in development. There was some first version of it, but needed to improve it. Uh, what was the idea? So the client comes to some private clinic and uh, instead of talking with the doctor, he speaks at first with the chatbot. This way, we save some time of the expert, yeah, and we maybe give some some information to the client. And mm. the result is that the expert gets like what we some information which we extracted from the client. Client mm. gets some information potential about his either his problems or we, which kind of specialist should he refer to. Like mm -hmm. it's in some countries, it's prohibited to like uh, make some medical decisions or medical diagnosis like officially. So in some base, it's better to just uh, send the person to a special to a certain specialist. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, at the very beginning, like the solution was quite simple, and one of the reasons was that we didn't have data, and we know that like for any machine learning pro project, we need data. Yeah. And uh, so, okay, I'm starting working. Uh, first thing which we plan to do is, like, for example, custom, the person says, oh, my leg hurts, like, my head hurts, uh, like, I feel bad in the morning, or whatever. We need to structure somehow this information, because like, he said something, some text, we need some information. Uh, a classical approach to this is called named entity recognition. Basically, we take text, we find parts of text describing something. This something is officially called entity. Yeah, and we extract it and then we use information somehow. At that point of time, like uh, there were no good open datasets or models for this because this was medical data and it was in Russian. So, for example, there was some, it was 2019. Mm -hmm. So, at that point, there was BOBERT, but it was in English. Yeah. And it was a bit too general. In Russian, there were neither good models for this. Right now, they exist already, but at the time, no. Uh, 
towards the beginning, the management didn't want to invest time into getting the data. Like we had unlabeled data, but no one wanted to invest into labeling. And they said, okay, let's just take the data, use regex to make labels, and then train models on it. Well, of course, it's not reasonable at all. Yeah. So um, what did I do? I tried to... Like I at first I tried to build models, but of course it was quite useless. Uh, so at some point of time we tried to like ask one expert to label the data, uh, and I noticed that sometimes we send the same text multiple times to a person. So I take took this text and showed that we had like I think thirty or forty percent disparity when the same person like uh, marked the same text. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I showed like doesn't work. So one of the things which we needed to do was to build a pipeline of labeling the data. It was like crucial. We had a lot of iterations and the process in general looked like this. At first we decide what we want to label. So we needed to label a lot of things. So for example, if a person says that I like my leg hurts every day in the morning, idea would what we, we want to get from here. That he had some hurt, so something hurts, yeah that his leg hurts, yeah, and that it happens in the morning. So we need three kind of entities, like time of the day, where is the problem, and what is the problem, yeah? So we started making labels manually. The first idea was that we take, for example, 100 texts, then those of us on the team try to do it by, the, by ourselves, and then we see what discrepancies we have, like uh, what questions do we have, and so on. When we did it, like we spent several hours on discussing such things because it's quite difficult. We made a document like describing what exactly should be done. And then we like we got we had our own internal team of people who would label the data. We mm-hmm. sent them the text and uh, instructions, and we made sure that each text was labeled by five different people. After that, we made a script which would analyze it, find like discrepancies that, for example, three people marked the text in one way, two in another way, and we started thinking what can be done about it. One of the solutions was to add some manual processing, like, well, not manual, but like Python code, which would process something. Like, for example, some people marked uh, punctuation as part of the labels, some people marked spaces, some didn't. So we just unified it. It wasn't that difficult. But there were like many cases when people either missed something or marked something like difficult, different and so on. In these cases, we like updated instructions, told people what to do. And so we did it multiple times until we got good uh, like percentage, good quality of it. This was working with the model. Next, we started training the models. Like basically we tried to do it in parallel, but anyway, we had to wait for good data. Uh, considering this is a named entity recognition, we tried two approaches. First was using like ready models from library called Spacey. It's quite a good library, quite popular and has a lot of good things. But for us, like the, we found a lot of problems with working with the data. So in the end, we started training neural nets. Basically, it was just LSTM models. And uh, these models usually require some kind of embeddings because like we need to represent the words in some way uh as i said there were no pre-trained models for this so we took our data we had around like several millions of texts we cleaned it and trained fast text on it 
And mm-hmm. it worked pretty good. So we had embeddings, our own embeddings from fast text. We trained the LSTM models uh, with, uh, which would work with NER. And yeah, and we used it. We tried to use BERT, like train small BERT to fine tune it, but it wasn't much better. Like the performance didn't improve, but it added a lot of overhead on computations. Mm-hmm. So we decided for now to stop it. We had a lot of like ideas what to do. We read a lot of papers and like some things we tried and they worked, but most didn't, unfortunately. Also with this project, we had a lot of uh, pure classification models. So for example, like a person could say that my leg hurts, my arm hurts. We need to understand what exactly he is saying. So we can understand that some part of his body hurts, but then we need to understand what exactly hurts. And the person can say the same like thing in many, many ways. Yeah, and so we needed a lot of classification models. And for this, we just used a simple approach like KFIDF model with logistic regression, and it worked quite well. Yeah. Also, like the part of the dialogue itself, mostly it was run using templates. Yeah. So like, it was quite a complex project. In the end, we got quite okay performance. But unfortunately, like uh, the project was frozen and put on hold. One of the reasons was that like executive team changed, so we and the priorities of company changed. The other point is that there were diff- like difficulties with selling it, and it was difficult to evaluate it. So at some point it stopped, but like it was quite interesting thing. It, like for some time it ran like in re- in production for some clients, and it was useful, and it was like it was quite interesting experience. Awesome. Uh, thanks a lot for sharing. Uh, that's very interesting to see how how you've been working um, not only with NLP techniques, but you've been around. So I think main things that I would uh, get out of this learning, I would start from, from the labeling. Of course, uh, we can imagine that uh, when there is no data, and we could discuss the role of ChatGPT and LLMs, but when there is no data, we need to find ways to have things to play with. So, of course, we're going to have teams that labels things. Uh, maybe we can have fun solutions nowadays with LLMs um, regarding ta- um, tagging, labeling, uh, data sets, and doing creative things. Um, like you mentioned, like defining specific columns that we want to label. Well, maybe if we have this structure, we could uh, imagine some some prompts that could uh, do it and then an expert review and correct things. So that could be one way to, to go faster about this. But um, um, moving on with that, I believe what you mentioned that uh, got my interest, uh, one of the things that you mentioned that really got my interest is that you were reviewing papers to try to implement them, and a lot of them weren't working. And so here we're discussing about the gap between academia and the industry. So that felt interesting. I would definitely um, afterwards love to hear about how do you go about finding papers, reading them, trying to implement them. Like how do you go about learning from papers in general, and um, how important is it? Um, but uh, I'll just continue with the, the third process of, um, of the overall project, and, and then I, I will come back on, on this question. Uh, so there's that. Then the fact that you've tried multiple models, you've tried different techniques, you've tried different models to see uh, what was working best. Um, so that was very interesting. You mentioned that uh, you ended uh, using... Um, 
uh, a neural network. Um, you mentioned that you use BERT, the small BERT, trying to fine-tune it. Um, so based on that, I would like to ask you about the production and testing of the models for the clients and how did you get feedback? So can you maybe share and maybe not in details, I don't know how much you can share about it, but uh, uh, the process of putting it in production and evaluating them based on customer feedbacks. Were, was this something that you were able to implement in that phase or was it something that you thought about doing? Can you share about the, this process? Okay, so I would say that usually we can have two different ways of relating models, some of the on the offline, on the existing data, and some on the online, on the real, like ongoing data. Mm. For the offline evaluation, we personally made like some so-called golden data set or some mm. data which we labeled ourselves and double, triple checked it. So every time when we train a new model, we run it on the same data and check the metrics. If the metrics improve, then we use this model. If the metrics are the same or they don't improve, we usually don't accept this model. Yeah. Uh, now about moving to production. There are a lot of ways to do it. In that project, well, it wasn't that difficult because if it's chatbot, it needs to talk. <laughs> so yeah. So we had an API. So we had a server, we made the model like the, our chatbot run on this server. And uh, for customer, it looked like, uh, okay, so there are like two parts of customer. First part is engineers on the customer side. They get an, AP, an API from us and they can pass customer text to us. And we send some response. For the customer, it's usually some kind of interface of chatbot when we can like, send messages, read answers. Yeah. Evaluation online, unfortunately, we didn't implement it, but we had multiple ideas. One idea would be simply customer, like, uh, at the end of the discussion, customer would say, like, he liked it or not. Yeah. Another idea, like, okay, so when we evaluate the models, we can evaluate two things. First, technical metrics. Second, business metrics. So technical metrics would be, for example, if we predicted everything correctly, if we extracted everything correctly. But for business, it can be like not relevant at all, not interesting. For business would be, for example, if the customer talk, talked with a chatbot, did he go to the expert yeah, and get another consultation? Like if he didn't go, maybe he didn't like the chatbot and it worked bad. Yeah? If he went, then, oh, yeah, we are good guys, we did it. So the idea was something like that, but we weren't able to implement it at some point. Awesome. Yeah, it makes sense. There are many features that we could value, like how you, I like how we could separate different things from customer reviews. Uh, uh, if it's a likes up, likes down, or five stars, or five stars but two lines where we say, um, and like, um, what, did we target the right problem? Uh, and did the solution added value? Maybe these kind of things. Um, very interesting. Um, And I guess you could have also the feedback from the customer, like uh, directly, like uh, an unofficial labeled feedback, but uh, maybe that can give an overall idea. Coming back to the papers, um, can you share about how how do you go about reading papers and learning new things from papers? And how do you decide which papers are you going to read? My approach evolved over time. So I will speak about my current approach. 
Uh, first of all, I, ha- I am subscribed to various newsletters, uh, so I get some information. They c- it can be about like some subscriptions provide links and news to the papers, some blo- to the blog posts, some to some some discussions, for example. Yeah, so it's one part of getting some papers. Another part is, for example, there is a like a famous person with uh, an acronym AK in Twitter. He posts a lot of papers. So they are interesting. And there is also company Dare AI. And usually they post some top papers each week. So like usually somewhere at the end of the week, I get I guess a list of maybe 10 papers. Then I read the abstracts. And usually here I discard like a lot of them because some of them aren't interesting to me. In some cases, maybe the paper is interesting, but it gives like a minuscule improvement. So it's like I also prefer to go try something different. And then I select several papers which are either relevant to my job or relevant to my area of interest. Yeah, or just quite like, for example, they could be in general very significant. And then I start reading them. Abstract is naturally a very like, reasonable beginning. Uh, after that, I usually skip to the methodology and see what is the main idea of the paper. After that, I go to the experiments. If I see that the idea of the paper is interesting to me and that experiments are reasonable and provide some good results, then usually I read the rest of the paper because it's not that, for example, I'm interested in the related uh, jobs by by themselves. It's not that I plan to read them, but it gives quite a good overview of the field. So it's like small effort, good uh, results yeah uh, so yeah and like an example of what like for example when i stopped reading the paper like long ago i read the paper about nlp and it basically compared the model of logistic regression and bert and made uh, like uh and the result was that yeah bert is better than logistic regression on big data so <laughs> at that point i stopped reading the paper because for me it was quite obvious so not worse yeah so it's like some an example yeah yeah awesome yeah i really like this approach that's awesome i'll uh, i'll definitely implement it from now on because like you you pick some papers that you so first i think the, the most challenging but it is not so hard and i believe this is why we need to engage with community online uh when when we want to take things to the next level um, because by being in the data and AI community, we're able to see names that are um, uh, that are well known for specific things, uh, specific domains, specific knowledge, and so based on this person, we can then through time decide what are my main sources of references as of what I need to read in terms of uh, papers and, uh, and new concepts in the field based on my area of interest. I believe that it is not useful to try to pursue every latest new technology. I believe that I believe that if one has very strong fundamentals, if one is very up-to-date to specific domains, then it might be interesting to be uh, aware of the new papers coming. And that's where your methodology comes in, uh, where you have the papers that appears, you get a list, a bucket list of your papers, get an S3, uh, AWS S3 of papers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's Anyway, I'm, we're going to forget what happened here. But then you have your list of papers 
uh, and you go about the abstract. And if the abstracts are interesting, then you keep them. So then you go to the methodology, you review uh, what happened and the conclusion of the experiment. And so if that's related to your interest or your work, then you'll go about reading the overall uh, document uh, or the overall paper. And you also mentioned that, um, well, of course, we can imagine that uh, in academia, some conclusions are not um, driven by the same... Uh, I mean, they, they are driven by specific frameworks that doesn't apply to us delivering more value in the end uh, on, a, on a daily basis. So like the example of uh, BERT, uh, the BERT model compared uh, when you apply it to big data, it is more efficient. I think that's a great example and a great thing like, okay, maybe this is an interesting paper, but I won't get the insights. I mean, I already knew that and I'm not sure I want to know it in a deeper manner because I won't use it anyhow. Um, awesome. That's very, very interesting. Um, we'd love to discuss about languages because uh, you've worked on NLP. So on, on, the, on the example that you share, you worked with language to try to deliver value um, on, a, on the healthcare domain to people. Uh, so that's NLP. And you're also polyglot. You speak multiple languages. Um, why did you get interested in languages in general? And um, and did that uh, got interested further more in NLP? Uh, but I would I would like um, to to hear about your passion for languages. Okay, so it may sound strange, but at first I started learning languages, and only after many many years I got the passion, <laughs> because I think like many people I started learning languages at school. And in many schools, the languages aren't taught well. Yeah, mm. sometimes it's they're boring, sometimes they're inefficient. It's just teachers have a lot of things to do and don't always can teach in the best way. So in my school, I learned uh, English, and by the end of the school, it, like I also had some private tutors, and uh, by the end of the school, I was able to speak, but not very well. And personally, I I almost didn't use it outside of like of studies because I didn't see any point of it to it. After that in university I had to study German from scratch and I studied it for two years and it was a painful experience due to the teacher. And like after two years I barely passed the exams and after that I tried to forget German like a bad nightmare. <laughs> um, but then I started like reading some things for my job. For, uh, at that point only for my studies in English. At some point I got a couple of books in English, like it was 2008 maybe. And by the way, I got at the time, I think I remember The Son of Ice and Fire and there were maybe four books from the five published now. <laughs> um, yeah, so I started reading books. I started uh, watching movies. And at that point I, like, I realized that my language is becoming better and better. Uh, but I didn't get the passion yet. Mm, but when I was finishing my studies at university, at the last years of my master's, I, as many people, discovered manga and anime. And I realized that, hey, I want to try this in original. And so I started learning Japanese. I spent several years on it. And at the end, I got around maybe N3 level. So I was able to read something. And at that point, I understood that well, I think learning languages is a fun activity. It's like 
I can spend free time on it when I like have too much of it. I it's like it helps develop my brain. It opens a new world for me. And so I returned to studying German. I started learning Spanish. Uh, like when I switched to data science, unfortunately, I had to stop learning languages because like I had to study data science and didn't have enough time for it. But last year, I returned to languages and like I'm happy doing it. Like my motivation is that uh, like it opens new worlds, it opens new perspectives, it allows you to meet new people and talk to them and learn new things. Uh, yeah. As for like, is it connected to my career? Maybe like for me, I think uh, computer vision and natural language processing are my favorite areas in deep learning. And uh, like yeah, it can be interesting to see the development of the current technologies. And I can see that while modern large models or specific approaches to machine learning translation are quite good, they are still not good enough to capture like more or less complex feelings, complex sentences. They make a lot of mistakes. Even if I use ChatGPT to translate them sentences, they often don't sound natural, so it's necessary to correct them. But it's very fascinating to see the progress, and it's quite cool to see that right now like simple phrases can be very easily translated. And for example, like I recently spoke with some person, he told me that he went for a vacation to another country. He didn't know the language in that country, but basically he used Google Translate to translate his words to a person and vice versa, and they used like voice input. So it's quite amazing that we have these technologies already. And so like I'm looking forward to what the future have for us. Mm, awesome, yeah. I believe that at some point we'll be able to have um, just like chips here and we'll just be able to real time speak and, and the other person get uh, the translation in real time also. Um, and, uh, and I believe that we're not that far, but um, of course you can, uh, you can, uh, you can give your, um, your, your opinion. Um, I have multiple things I would like to, to ask, three mainly. I would like to ask about uh, some career tips for uh, everyone who is listening. Uh, I would like to ask you about maybe another project that involved either fraud detection or real time, if we could uh, discuss about that. And I would like to ask you about, um, about a secret topic that I will reveal later on. <laughs> Um, so coming back to the two main one, I believe that the use case or do you have an experience that you could share with us? Maybe, st maybe discussing the, the stack of tools, um, using real time data, uh, which one would you prefer? Would it be like real time data or would it be more fraud detection? Which one do you think that uh, could provide the most of value, um, for everyone who is listening and the one you, you feel more comfortable sharing about? Well, I think I will do both at the same time because I had the project for real-time fraud detection. And I think I can speak about it because uh, I should public the blog post about this project should be published soon in the company's blog. blog. So it's not like that I am revealing some uh, uh, secret information. Mm -hmm. So the fraud, like there are a lot of cases of fraud. Yeah. And this is this kind of fraud is for relevant for right heading. So imagine situation, let's first talk about good situation. So a customer uh, like uses an app, 
like Uber, whatever, Karim or whatever. He has a card, a credit card attached to the app. He orders a ride. He gets into the ride. He gets to his drop-off. And he leaves. And we get the money from his card. Like everyone is happy. But uh, in case of fraud, we try to get money and fail. Maybe he doesn't have enough money on his card. Maybe the card is stolen. Maybe his card is fake. Maybe there is some other reason. But anyway, we don't get the money. One of the common ways to tackle it is called pre-authorization. The idea is that at the beginning of the trip, we make a hold on the customer's card for some part of the payment. So we estimate the potential cost of the trip and we take some part of the money. But naturally, we can't like apply this to all the customers. It would be a bad experience. People won't be happy about it. So we need some way to decide to which customers to apply this pre-authorization, yeah? And at first we had a lot of rules. They would say that, for example, hey, this customer has this specific characteristic, let's uh, apply pre-authorization on him, yeah? It, they worked okay, but the problem, there were some problems with it. First, this time we got too many rules and it was quite difficult to manage them, mm-hmm. yeah? Another point is that sometimes they were reverse engineered, like our fraudsters are quite clever. So, for example, if we implement uh, a rule called that, for example, if the value like of this characteristic is, I don't know, 32, uh, then issue pre-authorization. Uh, like, if it's, uh, like, for example, if it's lower than 32. But fraudsters understood it, and in several weeks, they started making fraud, like, when the value was, like, one higher than this threshold. Yeah, so, there are cases real, like this. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the solution would be to build a model because like it would be difficult to reverse engineer it. It would yeah. be like easier to, for example, scale it. We wouldn't need to set some specific thresholds. Yeah. Um, one of the problems was like getting the correct data because like we have many layers of data and sometimes can be discrepancies. We also need to select good data. So we spend some time on it. After that, we build the model itself. Uh, and here we have some, the problem. The model should work real time because like it should make the predictions while the customer is booking the trip. So it should work fast. And uh, like it's not like we can compil- calculate every feature, like doing like we can't run queries, we can't run complex computations. Uh, fortunately, in our team we had an uh, like, internal solution which would allow to create these features so that it can be used real time. So like we pre-aggregate some data, and when we may need to run the model, we get the necessary data. Yeah. Uh, and also we had another, have another like internal system for training and the models and making predictions. Um, so like for the, like from the like outside perspective, it basically looks like an API. So you have some information about customer, like you prepare all the necessary values for features. You send them to the model and you get the like prediction whether to issue this pre-authorization or not. Uh, it took several iterations to make it working, but it succeeded. Yeah, so like it now works quite pretty well. Everyone's happy. Amazing. Well, you can imagine how many questions. <laughs> how many questions? Um, the first one being, um, that's very impressive. The 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 threshold where um, people. Uh, are reverse engineering it so that they understand the threshold. So, 
My first question would be about feature selection. I'm not sure how much uh, in depth you can discuss it, but if not in general, can we discuss about um, how do you define features or maybe create new features based on the one that you have uh, that could uh, be very useful to your predictive model, to your classification model? Well, in general, there are two approaches. First one is to create a lot of features automatically. So you create various aggregations like mean, like for example, average value for this category, like feature interactions, like multiply, add, divide, and so on. Another is to explore the data and try to make some features which could be useful for the target. Naturally, like I can't say examples here, but I want to give an example from one uh, Kaggle competition. Yeah. Uh, there was a competition where like, we had a data about some advertisement of the platform mm. and that we needed to predict something like whether the customer would click on it or not. Mm. And uh, one of interesting ideas was that, uh, for example, if the price is reasonable, then mm. people are more likely to use it. Mm-hmm. What people did, uh, they took the data of the advertisement They made a small model which would predict the advertisement price from this Mm -hmm. information. So, for example, we have a title, we have description, we have some characteristics, let's predict the price. And then we calculate the difference between the predicted price and the real one. And this is a feature, like how much the price in the advertisement is different from the expected one. And this feature worked pretty well. And so, like, creating such features can be very useful for any model. You need to understand, like, some domain, yeah, and you, like, in essence, you try to understand how the behavior of this person is different from the common behavior, like, what distinguishes him. And this is usually the key to making good features. Awesome. So, you, in, so I believe that the, the most of the magic happens when we build features. And I believe that the creative part is also thinking of all the features that uh, we can create. So as best practices, do you recommend that I come up with all the features that I can and I have this big data set and then I use some kind of uh, feature importance technique to maybe see which one are more relevant or do you have another way to go about this? I think it's completely fine. So as for me, like I made a lot of features. I think it was a couple of hundreds of them. Huh. And then I made selection. Yeah, there are a lot of approaches to feature selection. Uh, like in this case, like sometimes like my preference right now is that I go iteratively and just see how the features improve the, our metric. So for example, I iterate over all features, train the model and see which model by which feature by itself has the best metric. Then I try to add a second feature, like then a third one, and so on. Like mm. ideal solution would be to try all the combinations, but it's like unfeasible usually. So mm. this like some kind of fit forward selection is mm. quite good. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Yeah, and with uh, and with some I mean, you can also get an intuitive ID as of, let's say you have the name of someone that won't help you, but let's say you have some numeric values, then you can watch, you can see the correlations, you can see like different metrics between them to see like between those variables that have like, that are highly highly correlated, which one is um, likely to be the best at predicting what I want. And so maybe, maybe I can 
I can I can see that previously and then like iterating on my model. Uh, so then you mentioned that you pre-aggregated some data and that you have your data sets that you train the model on. And then you had the API in between that had the model trained on the data set and that used to aggregate your data. Uh, I would like to go on the real-time solution. So could you share some insights about having this API real-time or maybe some struggles? Again, I don't know if you can share the kind of information or not, um, or if you can, if you have like similar ideas or fundamentals to share with us regarding uh, um, having uh, um, this kind of solution real-time. Uh, and... Um, yeah, first of all, this could, could you maybe share some insights on the tools or the, the problem that you can face with this solution? I think it's basically, it's mostly depends on the infrastructure of each specific company. Uh, for startups, usually you need to do something new, but for large companies, usually there is already existing infrastructure which can be used. There are like a lot of solutions and it's better not to reinvent them. Yeah. yeah, I think the most important things are latency, so that the model runs fast enough, yeah, and gets the features fast enough. Another that the solution is scalable, so when there is some spike in the number of trial number of uses of this API, we can manage it. Yeah, and of course some login after that, so that we can analyze what happens. But mostly it's usually about the stack which already exists. Hmm. Awesome. Um, and in terms of data observability or the performance of the model, um, like how do you go about uh, um, defining these metrics? Like what kind of metrics? I mean, I would I would play this game. I mean, I would uh, put myself into your shoes and say that all right. So we had this percentage of frauds. Now that this model has been in production, we still have this KPI and we've registered by X percent. But do you have like multiple KPIs that allows you to evaluate different things? Or if the like, how do you go about setting those KPIs that gives you data observability? Uh, usually, it's like as with chatbot, there are two kinds of metrics, the model performance itself and the business results. So, for example, let's imagine that we have some kind of project when we try to improve the sales. Uh, for example, like we have a website, yeah, and we uh, try to show the customer, for example, some kind of recommendations. Mm. Uh, the model may be measured by pure machine learning metrics, like it would be accuracy, precision, recall at K. It could be something different, but it's like showing how the model works. Mm -hmm. But usually it's not that important for business. Business wants to know, like, did we get money increase? Mm -hmm. They may be interested in number of like, percentage of clicks, percentage of, of, like, of funnel, of conversion rates, and so on. Some of this depends on the model. Some of this depends on the UI. Yeah, some of this depends maybe on some, like, if the website in general works fast enough or not. So it's a good idea to try to define business metrics which you can impact. Yes, because for example, like uh, you could make good recommendations, uh, but maybe uh, there is like the price of what you predict is too high and then the customer won't like it. 
but your model, for example, your goal wasn't to predict, to decide like the most optimal product based on price, but simply most relevant for the customer. So in this case, you can't influence like the whole pipeline. In this case, it would be like prudent to define some business metrics for on which you can influence. Yeah. So this is mm. an example. I see. Awesome. Amazing. Uh, we're kind of at the end of the episode. I have three more questions for you. They are uh, fast and uh, they are um, they are um, related to you and and and. But before asking them, I want to thank you a lot for coming on the show. I had an amazing time um, and I learned a lot and I, and I love sharing those um, details and your passion for languages, uh, your journey on Kaggle, uh, um, and everything in this episode. So thanks for coming on the show. Question number one is, um, do you have any tips for people who are uh, either starting in the industry or more advanced profiles, but do you have tips about learning new concepts, uh, growing your career? Do you have tips related to the career of individuals that can be advanced or not the advanced, more at the beginning? Okay, so first I would say that getting the first job is the most difficult thing. Like there are a lot of people who want to get the first job. So mm. it's a huge hurdle. After you get your first job, it will be easier. But yeah, but getting it, it's a real problem right now. It's you need like not only skills, but a lot of luck, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, next, it's important to understand that building the model itself is really the largest part of the like, project. You need to work with the data. You need to talk with the people. You need to write the code about like write good code. So there are a lot of things outside of doing machine learning. Yeah. And uh, as I said, you need to speak with people. So communication skills, soft skills are extremely important. It's possible that you are doing some good job, but you are not speaking about it correctly. You don't have good priorities, so it won't be evaluated as good. So for example, I would I can re recommend a book called Rice. It's quite good about career. Yeah. And uh, another point is that I think everyone should try to work at least in one startup and at least in one big company. Like it's difficult to understand what is it like to work in startup if you never worked in it. It's difficult to understand what is it like to work in corporation if you never worked in it. So it's worth trying at least once and then decide what you prefer. Yeah. And as for skills, I think it would be like my position is quite classical. It's about test-shaped skills. So have a wide area of interest but be good in several of them not it's not possible to do to be good in everything select several areas which you are interested in and invest in them awesome thanks a lot for those tips um second question is where can people follow you or learn more about you uh, or your posts well i think uh, like it would be easy on linkedin or i also have my personal website Uh, I think we can just share it in the description of the video. Yeah, so these are fine. Awesome. LinkedIn website, this will be in the description. And last question, Andre. Would you have a message for the Let's Talk AI community? It can be a personal message. It can be a professional message. It can be anything non-related to this podcast or related to the topics we approach today. Um, it can literally be anything and I'm still uh, speaking so that you have more time to think about what you're going to say. <laughs> Do you have a message for the list of gay community? Uh, like, 
yeah, it's difficult to decide what to answer on such thing. But uh, I would say that um, try to do what you like because uh, the life is too short to do things which you hate. So if you have like if you really hate what you are doing, remember that health, like mental health, is the most important. So it's better to switch job if you are really suffering because in long term it's not worth it. Awesome! I had an amazing time. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Yeah, thank you. I had a great time too. Congrats! You've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.